Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock. You know, an album just burns, baby burns. And <laughs> today, we are returning for a record fifth time. We are heading back to Paisley Park Man. to revisit Prince and the Revolution's 1985 album, Around the World in a Day. It happened real fast. One moment I felt like I was right at 701 First Avenue North at the First Avenue Club in 1984. I was jamming with the kid and his cool band. Little more than a year later, I found myself transported to another world, a mystical place called Paisley Park, a place where cymbals, the sitar, the oud, flutes, and what Pitchfork magazine called sweet psychedelia was being served. Released on April 22, 1985 on Warner Brothers Records, this album was a wee nod to Middle Eastern leaning sounds and a little unknown band from Liverpool. It was also a look into the condition of the heart of my favorite guitar hero. If you read between the liner notes, you learned what he had to say about unrequited love, musicians' loneliness. You'd meet the outliers, Mr. McGee, Jimmy, a king, and his subject name, Electra. You'd get to know the trifecta of God, sex, and prince. You'd come away thinking, sure, maybe life it ain't real funky unless it's got that pop, but also this album ain't real funky unless it's got the revolution. Oh yeah, Wendy, Lisa, Bobby Z, Dr. Fink, Brown Mark, this was band camp, band excellence, the band that reigns supreme. We get to meet Prince's friends, the friends that he doesn't mention, the friend in tambourine. Who was that? And we learn most of all him, his humanity, his loneliness, his spirituality, his objects, and his penchant for referencing modes of transportation at admission prices. Unlike tears to get into Lady Cab Driver and desire an international lover, to get around the world, laughter was all you paid. And this is my preferred method of listening to this album. Otherwise, the loss of him gets unbearable. Alice Walker said, It pisses God off if you walk into a field and don't notice the color purple. It's impossible not to notice the purpleness of Prince, the album, the regalness, the realness, and a man who dared to take us around the world in a day. After two years and a hundred plus episodes, today's show marks a first for Heat Rocks. When we invite artists onto the show, they are not at all obligated to pick an album that they have worked on. But when today's guests send in their wish list of LPs they'd be open to chatting about, every single one of them was an album by Prince. And look, if Wendy and Lisa want to talk some Prince, Yo. we're going to talk some Prince. Lisa Coleman and Wendy Melvoin have been creative collaborators for at least 40 years, as they've been friends since childhood, as both their fathers were members of the famed L.A. session players known as the Wrecking Crew. At the age of 19, Lisa joined up with Prince to play keyboards on 1980's Dirty Mind, and she became an integral part of the band over the course of recording and touring controversy in 1999. Around 83, Prince was working on a new project that would be eventually entitled Purple Rain, and he needed a new guitarist. Lisa suggested her friend Wendy, and together they became part of the core of the revolution, the band that would shape the sound of Purple Rain Parade and the subject of today's episode Around the World in a Day. And without disrespect to any of the other members of the band, you read any testimonial about the influences on the sound of Prince's music of that era, and all roads lead back to our two guests. Mm. By the late 80s, they branched off to form themselves into the duo we know them as today, Wendy and Lisa. Their accomplishments literally fill pages, having released five albums, done session work for everyone from Madonna to Eric Clapton to Betty LeVette. And for 20 years running, they've blazed a trail in Hollywood as film and television composers, having worked on everything from Soul Food to Crossing Jordan to Nurse Jackie, the latter of which yielded them an Emmy in 2010. And as the two already have Grammys and an Oscar, I feel like the next logical step is a Wendy and Lisa musical. Let's all make that happen. Yes. 
And as part of the revolution, they continue to tour and to play. It is our privilege to have them as our guests today. Wendy and Lisa, welcome to Heat Rocks. Oh, boy, that was an incredible (laughs) opener. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. I know. Let's just start with perhaps a super self-evident question, which is you all clearly wanted to talk about a Prince album. Why is that? Because they're great. (laughs) 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 Well, and it's something that we can talk about. And and, and he, he, Prince, he has been in our hearts and, and... in such a different way now ever since he passed away yeah. and and you know we've been revisiting our past and and it's been incredible i mean all these years later and you know he died unexpectedly and yeah. i never thought that would happen i thought we'd just be old and funky you know like yeah. forever and ever um but that didn't happen so we sort of all like flipped out and and the band got together and, yeah. and we've been playing some shows and um and that that's really helped us with the grieving process and mm. trying to like put that somewhere you know it'll never be resolved you know just you know, losing someone is it's a process it's not an event yeah, you know? yeah. it's a process so yeah. it'll keep going on and, and so when this opportunity came up and they asked about albums i mean we just started thinking oh my god i mean we've done all these incredible albums with this man and all these people and the whole thing was such an incredible experience and good choice on around the world in a day because no one likes to talk about that record that much it's interesting that's why i think we lasered in on it yeah you know i mean everybody either goes for you know purple rain or they you know will Second would be probably Parade. So then no one ever really talks about Around the World in a Day. Right. And it was a a huge turning point in um, our collaboration. That was like the big yeah, change. It was, a very, it was probably the most social project because... Mm. Interesting. Um, yeah, what do you mean by that? Well, because also our brothers... Um, the. You know, you nailed it with the Middle Eastern sounds uh, and everything like that. And that came from my brother, David. Mm-hmm. Um, he started coming around Purple Rain time. Uh-huh. And, Both of the boys had met him. And and then Jonathan, Wendy's brother, came out. And and they were kind of trying out for the, to be in the family and mm. different, you know, permutations of groups that we were tr- trying out, you know. And when Prince met David my brother David had fallen in love with a Lebanese girl in high school and he just lost his mind completely and he taught himself to speak Arabic out of a book and he just yeah love's amazing well (laughs) yeah it'll make you do nuts and he became fluent in Farsi Mm. yeah I mean people couldn't tell they they would ask him how long he'd been in this country yeah I mean he talked to you with an accent that's how deep he got he would talk to you with an accent when he was speaking English English yeah he did he was really uh, an incredible person and and Prince and he just really hit it off they were both both Gemini's if that means anything (laughs) but both like really creative and and just um, art extremists, you know, like Prince just completely dedicated his entire being to his art and his 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 path in being Prince. And my brother was very similar. Where at any create, he was so creative and so imaginative that it, he, you know, you really believed whatever world he was in, he would take you with him. And so, and he, with his love for this Middle Eastern girl. And he started playing the oud and finger cymbals and um, darbuka, darbuka, and then he um, taught himself cello. You know, yeah, like, you know the microtone and twelve tone scales, so that he could play all that yeah, Arabic quarter stuff, tones. quarter tone stuff. Mm. Can I ex- expand on yeah, that a yeah, little bit? Of so, um, that summer we were all like rehearsing for the next tour and recording a whole bunch of albums at the warehouse. There was a whole bunch of other bands that were around, and you know, it the the recording was happening simultaneously as being in other rooms rehearsing and Jonathan and David drove up to rehearsal and gave us a cassette of 
David's song, Around the World in a Day. And the two of us listened to it in Lisa's car, and we were we both looked at each other and said, we have to play it for Prince. Mm. He's going to lose his mind. The chorus hit, you know, and it had that. Prince was like, can I have it? <laughs> can leave it on the phone. You know, can I like, have that? Can I have that? And that's how Around the World in a Day started. That song was the epicenter of the creative process for Prince to create everything else around it. And it's the thing that draws me in. After he gets past, you know, open your heart, open your mind, I'm like, you got me. <laughs> I know. You got me. I know. No, no questions. No questions asked. And for me, um, I'm glad that we brought up that, you know, this album doesn't get mentioned a lot because this one is my favorite. Oh. Mm. This one's my favorite. And I've been consistent. If you pull up some of our Prince shows, I've always said, "Mm mm-mm, Around the World in a Day is my favorite. Wow. And we've had people come on and talk about Sign of the Times. Oh, no, 1999. Yeah. Purple Rain. Dirty Mind. Dirty Mind. Mm -hmm. And and I love Controversy. I Um, do, too. I love all of them. But this one is precious because the longer we do this show, the more we know that albums and music are are also attached to memory. And I have such good memories of this time. So this this is my favorite, so I'm glad. I'm glad we're talking about this one. Me, too. I really appreciate also having just the window into the creative process because I think for someone who grew up listening to, to the finished product, it oftentimes feels very opaque, and you just assume that there's this genius in a, in a you know in a studio someplace that just kind of magically gets birth, as opposed to like two people sitting in a car listening to a demo and being like, "Oh yeah, we should bring this to Prince." Mm-hmm. And so, can you talk a little bit more about how how was that creative process, especially working on this album? Which, if I understand the kind of discographic history, work had already begun on this before Purple Rain had even dropped. Yeah. It, it, oh, you know, it's, all, it's always a blur. There was five million things going on at once. And once <laughs> he felt something was done, then he'd put it in a little package and say, now that's that. But so, it, it, I mean, yeah. I felt like all the lines were blurred. Like things were happening during 1999 when I first got there that had to do with stuff that was later going on Crystal Ball. I mean, we. It, yeah, it was a constant workflow, creative thing. Mm-hmm. And. And yeah, Purple Rain took longer than any other of the projects because the, because of the film. Yeah, that makes sense. And all, yeah. you know, so and for Prince, that was like, oh, he was gosh. so bored by the time. Oh, he was so bored. <laughs> really? Oh my he God, did, he was you know, so bored. He moved fast. He wanted to, you know, already mm-hmm. doing the next thing. You know, because Purple Rain had such a long ramp to it, and it yeah. was gonna happen, gonna happen, and and then it would happen, and. And it was like a long time and months go by and, you know, so we're always in the, in the warehouse every day. I'm not entirely sure what was happening, how around the world in the day. I I don't remember chronologically what songs from around the world in the day had started during Purple Rain. Got it. But I'm, I, I, I would, I, there's not a part of me that would say that was not true, that it didn't happen. Yeah. Probably did. I just. Right. It's a blur. Small trivia note that I noticed in, in just prepping for today that apparently Prince had finished the album, uh, at least as far as the label was concerned, on Christmas Day of 1984, which means, and we're, we're taping this a week before Christmas of 2019, which means there were almost 35 years to the week that this album was wow, completed, which was a nice, a nice coincidence. Oh. We certainly didn't plan it that way. You know, I was reading also along these lines, uh, Susan Rogers, who was Prince's longtime engineer, who, mm-hmm. of course, the two of you know quite well, I mean, gives the two of you a ton of credit in terms of, and I don't have the exact quote, but basically because the two of you had had so much formal music training when it comes to sort of like the melodic and harmonic complexities, arrangements and compositions, is that she was like, that was all Wendy and Lisa. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about how did you, how did songs form out of that partnership with what did Prince bring into it? What did the two of you bring to it? And how did that go into the finished product? That's a good question. Um, I can speak 
for myself and my past. I grew up with an incredibly rich and complicated harmonic family. So mm-hmm. it was there was we weren't flat-footed musicians. It was all we tried to go as deep as we could with listening to music. So uh, the easier the sound, the less we would gravitate towards it. So the house was full of musique concrète. Mm. Uh, it was full of right. you know um, Zappa, <laughs> right? Frank um, Zappa, Stockhausen, oh, Stockhausen, mm. Sabotnik, I mean, Ornette Coleman, Ornette Coleman, uh, I mean, just, Bitches uh, Brew. Yeah. So we uh, we grew up with that as a um, template for what our ears had turned into. Right? Mm. I remember personally hearing him for the first time, and it changed my world. I was thirteen. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And then when Dirty Mind came, mm. I was I was f- 15 when Dirty Mind happened. And I heard that the girl I grew up with joined that band. And I was like, do you know who you're playing with? Do you have a clue what you're doing? She's like, not he really. Has a, he, not only that, but then she goes to it's Minneapolis cute. and goes into his house. And he has a poster of... Chris Christopherson and Barbara Streisand on the wall from A Star is Born. Now, like, I don't know if you guys know that, like, when you live in Hollywood, you don't want to wear a shirt that says Hollywood. Right. 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 Right? So Lisa goes and sees this thing on his wall and she's like, oh, my God, where am I? What's going on here? (laughs) I think that he really got a kick out of feeling safe to explore what we wanted to give him and show him. Mm -hmm. Not that we could teach him anything, but we we could explore together and had the same kind of curiosity, you know, and when I heard his music and I wasn't a big pop music fan, you know, and, but he was deeper than that. There was something else I heard in his music. It wasn't just like pop songs, even though he could write a really good pop song. And, you know, that was so cool. Yeah, I, think, I think he did a few. Yeah, yeah. just yeah, a couple, you know, two or three. Yeah. Yeah. But when you hear things like Annie Christian or something oh like my. that, you go, yeah, there's like, something else happening on? with yeah. this guy. We actually have, uh, we found a clip of, uh, of Prince talking in his first interview, and he mentions Wendy and Lisa. Someone in Minneapolis recently told us that several months ago, they were in a studio there when David Rifkin, your sound engineer, walked in. They asked him what he thought of the new Prince album, Around the World in a Day. He said, it's great, but wait till you hear the new album. Apparently, he meant that you're already working on a new LP, ready to go. And that this one was a strong return to your funk roots. Is this true? Can you elaborate? What will it be called? When is it due out? And what's the music like? Don't you like surprises? Uh, It is true. I record very fast. Uh, It goes even quicker now that the girls help me the girls meaning Wendy and Lisa not these girls I don't really think uh, I left my funk roots to begin with anywhere along the line um, around the world in the day is a funky album live it's even funkier so I liked when I found that clip I liked um, hearing him reference you because I think that's the first time that I had and it also brought up a question for me about some of the discussions around around the world in the day because psychedelia and the Beatles are always mentioned but people don't talk about the funk of this album mm. and in my mind it's funky like this is a funky album Tambourine from start to is finish one of the funkiest things you'll yeah. ever hear in your life funky but people all the all the reviews talk about how light it is how airy how middle eastern how beatles-esque and they miss the funk element i agree talk a little bit about what we, what they might be missing on this album where, where the funk is concerned pretty much everything everything was funky i mean the f- funk is just a <laughs> it's just the way you approach it's a way it. of feeling it's a way yeah of feeling it's a way it of feeling the, the songs and um i think that the, that well critics and 
people tend to listen, you know, if you're writing an article about something and they listen to the top layer, you sure. know, they, they're talking about the icing and not the cake, you know. Mm. And and so that's fair enough. And it was in, in its way different than the other albums because of the Middle Eastern influence. But, you know, to call it psychedelic and Beatlesque, I mean, Prince didn't. He didn't even like the Beatles. He was no, like, he didn't. Who? He didn't. You know, he, he really didn't. <laughs> like that was just not where it came from. It came from a, a different source, you know, sure. for him. And it was a it was a real exp- exploration. He and, was experimenting with his melodies at that point. His melodies became yeah. a little bit more important than the riff of a vocal, right? Um, I think that. If you listen to that record closely, just on its sounds alone, like the, the 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 band layer of it, the drums and the bass and the guitar stuff, it is deep. The kick drum is so heavy on that record. Mm. That's funk. That's funk. Heaviness of something is funky. And then on America, let's say... For, Mm. I mean, that is just... Yeah, I mean, that's just funky. <laughs> whoever sorry. doesn't think it that's not funky is just... Their definition funk of funk is. is a completely different thing. Sure. They're hearing a different thing. Listen to Mark on the bass. I had a question about America because this is a song that when you look at a lot of, I think, both reviews at the time, but especially the kind of retrospective reviews of the album that have come out in in more recent years, is people tend to identify America as, I think the word that often used, it's like an an unironic patriotic anthem. And when I listen to it, and especially when you read the lyrics, I'm like, well... I just disagree with that. Yeah. Because it seems to me that he is, yes, parts of it on paper seem to be anti-communist, but then... You read, and it's like, I kind of feel like he's actually making fun. He is. Of it's all irony. It's just yeah. ironic. And uh, let me just give you a funny thing, an anecdote that happened just last week. We played a, uh, the band, The Revolution, played a corporate event down in Costa Mesa for a performing arts center. And the screen opens, and there's just these very conservative ball gowns and tuxedos they no one younger really than you know maybe 60 and lots of booze lots of dancing with holding your high heels in your hands mm-hmm. that kind of thing yeah and we opened with america <laughs> <laughs> that's gangster oh, yeah. my God. that's gangster and you know what i know what your reaction, laughing, was exactly what all of us did on stage. The first note of that beginning of it, and we looked out to the audience, we just started laughing at the irony of that moment because America is ironic. Yeah. And I think it might have been lost on this crowd, if you understand. Right, right. right? I mean, I laughed, I, I, I laughed at the end of that song where he's like, teacher. Why won't Jimmy pledge allegiance, right? Can we, but but I fell in love with the song from the beginning. The opening of that song just gives me chills. Can you Aristocrats on a mountain (laughs) climb, making money, losing Losing time. time. Communism Communism is just just a word, but if the the government government turns over, it'll be the the only only word you heard. heard. (laughs) That (laughs) is, we sing that first verse to those people at that corporate, and I was. Howling. Oh, God, it was hilarious. Howling. I'm, I'm so glad we got this cleared up because I'm like, what What am I missing? This does not sound like an, it does not sound like a, a red-blooded patriotism it was, anthem. It clearly, it clearly sounds for Right. Right. Little sister make minimum wage, living in a one-room one jungle, monkey, monkey cage. cage. Yeah. She can't get over. She's almost, almost dead. dead. But better that She may red. not be in the black, right. but she's she happy she ain't in the red. red. It's like, yeah, that, that does not sound like it's... Go rah rah no. rah. Yeah, no. no. I mean, it, it, it wasn't Ronnie talk to Russia. Yeah, right. Because that would have just closed yeah. the party. They'd uh, be yeah, like, you know, know what? Security. Yeah, exactly. Get, <laughs> get the revolution. Oh my! A private joy. They would have been <laughs> like, get, private joy. Get the revolution yeah, up out yeah. of here. <laughs> Christian, can you play the beginning of uh, of America? That's Susan Rogers. 
on the tape machine. And to your point, Wendy, I mean, just the intro where Susan's messing with the tape. As a DJ, I always just think of it more in terms of starting and stopping a turntable because it has that same sure, effect. Sure, it has the same effect. And it's, you know, we, we had done a, an episode about Parade uh, a couple of months ago, and there's that similar sort of just playing with the sound, not, not just on a musical level, but playing with the sound of the recording. There's elements on that as well. And it's what you don't expect it. And, you, and, and the first time I heard it, I'm like, oh, wait, is there something wrong with my like, right, my right. Yeah, no, but you break? have to imagine you know? back in those days, we were cutting 24-track. We were editing, yeah. splicing 24-track mm-hmm. tape, right? So Susan goes and hey, cut, line up, line up, let it go. It's exactly the same as DJing. Yeah. Now, was that a an accident of the recording in terms of, Someone heard it and was like, wait, keep that? Or was it that always the intention? No, it was never the intention. Okay. It was just like, that's yeah, cool, leave happened. it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. A happy accident. Yeah. Exactly. I wanted to ask, what was the most fun or the most interesting song to record for this album and which one was the most challenging? Mm. Well, well, the most fun was probably America because that was, we were in the south of France and, you know, that was cool to begin with. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah we were doing then, Cherry Moon, the film Cherry Moon was being filmed and we were still, we were working on songs for that. Wow. Yeah, and, so um, there was always a, a mobile truck around right. that we'd be working in and then um, and then the rest of the band flew out uh, to do America and yeah, we were just out on this, in a tent. Cote d'Azur. On the, yeah, Cote d'Azur right there on the Mediterranean and, um, and it was like about 127 degrees <laughs> and it, I mean, it was hot in, in that a full tent. audience yeah and and we like after the after that filming and everything prince and wendy both like were taken off stage like with oxygen masks and stuff because it was so hot it got so hot and we were just we played way too long but that's but that's the that's recording the recording the, uh, yeah so that was that was quite the a, most fun, quite a fun and yeah, that was fun adventure. That was really fun. Raspberry Beret was fun to do. Pop life. I remember. I remember we were in Los Angeles, and Lisa was already in the studio at Sunset Sound with Prince, and they were working on Pop Life. Mm. And I walked into the studio after they had spent a few hours doing the track, and he played me the track, and I burst into tears mm. because it was such an amazing combination of funky and beautiful and painful in one little song i i just was like that's a beautiful soup you just made <laughs> that's incredible i i i remember it's been imprinted in me that moment to hear that song mm. god just the that intro mm. where you hear boom, and then the with the keyboard. Listen Ooh-wee. to that. That's reversed. The hand claps tuned way, way down on the snare. the bass it's like he's pulling the strings like five inches off the neck to get that boom bat boom bat boom it's been hard to listen to this album since prince passed this is the one that's been hardest for me to listen to mm. absolutely i because it's my favorite so i, I, you know, I haven't listened to you it you should say that i just mm. got teary because it's true what he says well sign of the times has a very similar kind of melodic and l- lyrical yeah. exploration but around the world in the day said something so much deeper than the previous records up to that point and it's heartbreaking to think about him not being here when you listen to what he gave all of us in his fearlessness to explore his lyrics there's so much wisdom 
on this album. Wisdom coming from a very young man at this time. 100%. And in that clip that we played a little bit earlier on, he says, he says something like, I'm, I'm like everybody else, I'm human. He said, I need, I need water and I need love. Mm-hmm. And the theme that comes up to me in, in Pop Life is how the sameness, the every manness. Mm-hmm. We, all have a, we, all, we all have a space to fill. Everybody can't be on top. Right. And there's so much wisdom. It is very close to Sign of the Times. But Sign of the Times, to me, that song, there's a world weariness. The world it has is gone crazy. One hundred percent. It's some. It's much more global. Around the world in a day is still personal. It's a house. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. a house. That's, that's yeah. where Paisley Park. You know. Yeah. The yeah. song Paisley right. Park is on very there. true. And the, the, it was like an idea that he'd been floating for a while. You yeah. know, coming from Purple Rain as being a big mega smash kind of thing. Around the world in a day wanted the same audience, the same bigness, but but wanted us all to feel how close we are and little we are. And we'll be back on Heat Rocks and our conversation with Wendy and Lisa about the seminal album Around the World in a Day after some messages from our other Maximum Fun podcast. Don't go anywhere. Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And we host Round Springfield. Springfield. Round Springfield is a new Simpsons podcast that is Simpsons adjacent. Mm -hmm. Um, In its topic, we talk to Simpsons writers, directors, voiceover actors, you name it, about non-Simpsons things that they've done. Because, surprise, they're all extremely talented. Absolutely. For example, David X. Cohen worked on The Simpsons, but then created a little show called Futurama. Mm -hmm. That's our very first episode. So tune in for stuff like that with Yardley Smith, with Tim Long, with different writers and voice actors. It's going to be so much fun. And we are every other week on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Friendly Fire is a podcast about war movies, but it's so much more than that. It's history. It was just supposed to be another assignment. It's comedy. Under no circumstances are you to engage the enemy. It's cinema studies. It's a hell of a combination. So subscribe and download Friendly Fire on your podcatcher of choice. Or at MaximumFun.org. And also come see us at San Francisco Sketch Fest on January 16th. You can get tickets at sfsketchfest.com. accomplished. <laughs> We are back here on Heat Rocks talking about princes around the world in a day with Wendy and Lisa. So I have to ask about the video for Raspberry Beret because I've said it and there's, there's no way to say this without saying it over and over and over again. For me, this album was love at first listen. It was a fantastic time in my life. It's wedded in my memory But one of the things I remember most of all about the experience of this album is that video. I mean, you have to imagine what it's like looking at that as a youth. And of course, MTV's all over the charts with videos. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm getting, you know, entrenched in MTV. And then this, then, then this video comes along and I'm like, Oh, my God. There's, like, hella people in the video. They got, a, like, a cool choreographed two-step going on where they're bending bending to the side. Mm. Everybody's hair is cool. I know Prince didn't like his bangs, but I loved his bangs. I, I did, his, too. I thought his bangs thought were on cute. point, I right? I thought he looked great. The blue suit. He looked so cute. Yeah, and that cloud suit. You the up there playing. Suit. You holding up the back. I was like, yo, this is it right here. And this album... Um, won an MTV award for best choreography. So I wanted to ask you about the experience of shooting that video. What was that like? Um, well, we tried to, the whole uh, concept of that video was to bring the album cover to life. Mm-hmm. So he's so if you look at the album cover and the uh, animated drawings on it, you'll be able to pick out everybody represented in the video, in the video. as well. I have a couple of strong memories of it. <laughs> One is I was very upset that I had to play that acoustic guitar in it because it was huge. (laughs) And, you know, I'm a fairly aesthetic person, and I like my guitars to kind of match the size of me. Sure. (laughs) So this thing was more like playing like a guitaron in like a mariachi band. It was like out to here. And Prince was like, he 
loved that it was so huge on me. He liked that there was some kind of like, uh, I love that you're so little and that you're taking control of something so big. <laughs> I didn't like the guitar. Um, uh, the other memory I have is that Pat Smear from Nirvana was one of the extras in it. Yeah, it's so crazy. Uh-huh. Every once in a while, people will say, will recognize him and say, and ask me, was Pat Smear in the Raspberry Beret video? I'm like, wow, you yeah. watch closely. Yeah. Because he's just like in the... He's just there. Um, people. Then Novi and Suzy Katayama and your brother oh, David are playing the, the uh, string strings. instruments. What was the first video we did where there was a, there was extras around too? So that was yeah, it was, was really, weird. It was we, weird. It was like the first like um, scripted video sure. we had done, and not a performance video. Right. Uh, so it was interesting. It took took much longer than we thought it would take. I th- could tell Prince was like slightly annoyed by how long it took. He was just not a very patient guy. I mean, that video saw so much heavy rotation it on MTV. Sure, it did. And it really brought us into the world of, uh, of the album. And it, and it sold this world. It sold this family. Right. It sold, for someone, an artist that's so um, closely linked with the color purple, This the video and the album feels blue to me. It is. Mm-hmm. It, it, it feels absolutely. blue. That's There's the color of the album absolutely. to me. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We normally ask our guests what they think the the fire track off the album is, which most people mm. interpret to be what the best song is. Mm. But I feel I feel like for the two of you, it makes much more sense to ask, what is your favorite song off of this album and why? Oh, my God. I know, and I know it's probably like picking between your children. But again, you don't have to limit it to just one. But what comes to mind in terms of something that you just have a very, very deep relationship with, but besides every single one of the tracks on Right, yeah, it is. It's like picking one of your children. It's so hard. You know, I used to always say condition of the heart. Mm-hmm. Because, we haven't talked much about it. Yeah. yeah, and it was one that I had nothing to do with, and it was just him, and it's just a beautiful song. It's just, I remember when I first heard it, and I was just like, Wow, I just love the chords and the yeah. melody and just I think that's just a beautiful song. It gets overlooked a lot. People don't it doesn't get played a lot. People don't mention it, but I it's one of my favorite songs of his. It's just a beautiful song. Indeed. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's such a pretty song, yeah. and then like I was saying, sort of in the intro, you get to see this cast of characters: mm-hmm. the dame in London, the woman from the ghetto. Shout out to Marlena Shaw, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the girl in Paris, mm-hmm. and you get to see that um, sometimes relationships are complicated. Mm-hmm. And as a young kid, I, I I didn't have all that information. As a grown woman, now I'm like, oh, they are complicated, and they can be unrequited. I just thought it was a pretty song, and it felt like a story. Right. Yeah. Um, it felt like these people that I didn't have access to. Yeah. But but most of Around the World in a Day to me felt mm-hmm. like a story. I also feel like the the song is part one that, and part two is off the next album is Sometimes It Snows in April. And mm-hmm. This is sort of a relationship taken through its course and all of its complexities, and just I don't Indeed. I wouldn't say that I don't think Prince's ballads are underrated because. I mean, you talk about a song like Purple Rain, for example, or When the Doves Cry. But I do feel like we tend to fixate more on the big, big radio pop shiny hits, which are great, of course. But like Prince's ballads were just magnificent, the sublimeness. And we've talked a lot about all the kind of things that he is putting into it musically. But I think Condition of the Heart on this album really is a showcase of just what he can bring to, to to a ballad. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. And and like Wendy was saying earlier, he, he he loved beauty. And even in the like a funky song like Pop Life, it's a beautiful song. Um and condition of the you know, it it makes you think of that he loved Joni Mitchell and he would explore, you know, 
um, classical composers, you know. I, Clara Bow, he's talking about Clara Bow. Uh, yeah, right, because he used to say I was Clara Bow all the time. Um, that's the thing about our relationship that I think helped him explore more is that during, when we were together, his ballads changed. It, it changed from International Lover, those kind of ballads, yeah. to all, although The Beautiful Ones is truly a magical track. Mm-hmm. It really is. But by the time Around the World in a Day came, up through Sign of the Times, um, that was just, I only speak to my era, that his ballads really became really beautiful and yeah. really more personal. More personal. Yeah. 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 You know, I mean, sometimes it snows in April was a perfect example of that. You know, by the time the three of us were in our room doing that and he started singing those lyrics over these chords we were doing, it was like, oh, I could I could see in him that it, it allowed him to feel even bigger feelings mm-hmm. that weren't overly sexualized or angry or just bratty, which he's the master at (laughs) (laughs) he could explore that side that is um um, brokenhearted in a way that doesn't have a fake like it doesn't have a a a pretense or fakery to it So glad that happened for him because when he did get there and in condition of the heart, it's a it's a great example of it. The latter to me is it's a great it's a great sort of religious peak, right? It, it's great, but it doesn't have the same kind of brokenheartedness about it. It's it has a different kind of sadness to it, but it's there's a reverie to it. Yeah. The, the latter to me re- reminds me a lot. The, the beginning of the latter reminds me a lot of the beginning of Purple Rain. Yeah, it has that vibe. It has that. The vibe. cross had the same kind of thing too. I mm-hmm. love the cross, mm-hmm. and I was going to mention that m- mention that earlier. But I also love um, the background vocals on the latter. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. You guys sang your faces oh, off. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was. Re- I remember it being really high. <laughs> I know. Really high. Too. It's the one song on here that the two of you actually have writing credits on. I mean, there are other songs that are credited to Prince, Prince and the Revolution, but I'm. But this is the one where the two Prince of you are is very, named. was very random. He okay. was very yeah, random. I don't, I don't, I don't know There's why. There's no that rhyme is. or reason why we're not on accredited as writers on one, and then we're right. Like, yeah, I don't know. He just did some weird <laughs> <It's> stuff. Like, <laughs> you just get in the mood one day. And yeah, I put I her think name I'll on get it. One in Lisa <laughs> Do you have a favorite song off of here? Every time I hear America, it does it for me. Every mm. time I hear Tambourine and I hear him oh, behind yeah, God. Crazy. When I hear him behind his drums, now you got to remember, this is a guy that would go into the recording studio and put his headphones on behind his drums and play an entire track and then do his vocal afterwards. Mm. So you listen to that drum track. Imagine getting it all done, and then he goes in and does his vocal. If you're a musician out there, you know how hard that is. Oh my God, there I go, falling in love with the face in a magazine. Uh-oh, All alone by myself, me and I play my tambourine. Trouble mm. <laughs> That one's special. Yeah. Morgan, given that this is your favorite Prince album, do you have a, do you have a fire track off of here? What's your favorite? 
That's tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's changed a lot. And as I said, um, heretofore, it's been very hard for me to listen to this album. Mm-hmm. Not hard for me to listen to the other ones, but I think because this one is my favorite and I feel so close to it, it's been hard. Because mm-hmm. we've we've had to discuss other Prince albums, and that's been okay, right? But for this one, it's just been tough. And if you had asked me this when the album came out, I would have said Pop Life or Tambourine. Mm-hmm. But in thinking about it now, I'd have to say my favorite track is America. Mm-hmm. Um, because of what it means, mm-hmm. um, because of the funk that you talked about, mm-hmm. and because in preparation for this chat, that was the one that I was like, oh, turn that up. Right. Uh, turn that up. Mm-hmm. Right. And I have to be, you know, I have to be grooving. I have to say, too, about this album that, you know, there were c- certain albums that I couldn't play in the house because I grew up re- religious. Uh-huh. And so I came to Prince because my cousin you know, got saved and she was like, yo, I got to give you these albums because I can't play them anymore. And I was like, okay, I didn't really know. So she, so she gave me controversy. I was like, oh, okay, Uh-oh. I see why you can't Uh-oh. play it, right? Yeah. And I was like, well, I can't play this at all. So I had to play it in the, ho- in the house. But um, Purple Rain obviously was an experience, but Around the World in the Day was one that I could play at the house and turn all the way up with no, you know, my mother my mother liked Pop Life. She liked Raspberry Beret. Even Temptation? Uh, no, I didn't play that one. When I pull up in the driveway, because I had like a VW bug, and I'd be like, no, turn that down, turn that down. <laughs> Tambourine was sort of cryptic, so you didn't really know until you'd be like, well, wait a minute, what's this magazine thing he's talking about? <laughs> what's the tambourine? What is the tambourine, right? <laughs> and I played tambourine in church. I was like, this is not the same. I know this is not the same thing right now. But, um, but this album is precious to me, and America is that song for me now that I'm just like, oh, my God. God. Now more than ever. Yep. It's well established that between the two of us, I always have the more basic taste. Because <laughs> my favorite song off of here is Raspberry Beret. And yeah. I actually thought it was going to be pop life until I was, was sitting back and listening to it. And I think that Raspberry Beret nudges out pop life by hair, partly because it also yields my favorite, my single most favorite moment on the album, which is just the intro and the countdown. Of, and I, I just like a good countdown. Like yeah. Anytime, mm-hmm. anytime a band leader counts it down. Yeah. And because you, 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 it's that anticipation. You know something very cool is about to happen. And in this case, it's that combination of the strings and the, I guess it's the harpsichord that drops in. And just so joyous. I think the thing about Raspberry Beret yeah. that always yeah. sticks with me is just the, the, that feeling of joy that emanates from it. I also wonder how much thrift stores got rated for, for Raspberry Berets after that song <laughs> Oh, I know. People must have just been in the droves had to walking be. searching yeah. for them, right? Or at the very least, rocking Paisley. I know I was. I was rocking Paisley hard. <laughs> Do either of you have a, fav- a particular favorite moment that every time you hear this album, when that, it's a, it could just be as short as a bar or whatever, that's like, it just gets you. I have moments in all of these yeah, songs sure. that just kill me. When I hear it, I just get that look, and I put my head down and shake it. Just go, wow. I have I have it on Raspberry Beret when he says the rain sounds so cool up against the up against the barn roof. Mm. The horses wonder who you are. Thunder, Thunder drowns out, out what the, the lightning, lightning sees, sees. And, you and you feel, feel like, like a, a movie, movie star? star. Come on. Mm. Yeah, he really reached a beautiful place there. So there's that, and then there's a couple moments on Pop Life that does it to me. Yeah. America, Jimmy Nothing never went to school. I mean... Made in Pledge of Allegiance. Jimmy said, said it wasn't cool. cool. Nothing made Jimmy proud. Now, now Jimmy, Jimmy lives, lives on a mushroom cloud. cloud. Come on! Mm. Bars. <laughs> Bars. It's changed over time yeah. with this album for yeah. me and for a lot of reasons, and you know, just the whole album was really, it's it's really special and, and it's especially meaningful to me too because of my brother's involvement and, yeah. you know, having Both lost. Both of our brothers have passed since. Yeah, so we, we lost our brothers and, and now we've lost Prince and it's a good thing that it's such a joyful 
and positive album because I feel a lot of loss. I mean, I relate to you saying that this was the one that's hard to listen to yeah. because this is the one that really... This is where we were really We were close. really close. We were tight friends. Our families were around. Mm. We were creative, like, happy every day. You know, we went to work in the morning at the warehouse and were there all day long, you know, just playing music. We were little know? elves and, in the factory. And, and we loved ourselves. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, we like did. We, mm-hmm. you know, we, we were young and we were, we were like bold and, and excited about what we were doing and who we were. And, you know, it didn't matter ab- about the success of the thing because we, we were just... We came off the fishbowl effect of Purple Rain by that point. Yeah. So it was nice to come break it all down. Right. Exactly. The thing that I feel like um, Prince gave me on this album, unlike other other albums, because I I just feel like I I sort of could appreciate his genius over successive albums mm. once I got mm-hmm. to know him. Mm-hmm. But around the world in a day, I felt like he gave me just a little peek into his heart, and I think that's why I'm so close to this. A, li- a little peek. He did. Yeah, that's exactly what he did on that. That's I think that's why he it's did. so hard. He did. That's he. Yeah. That's what I meant earlier when I said that. The the entertainer part of Prince took a break. Yeah. And it was just like this free, free love feeling about it. Like this, like, come have a party with me. Yeah. Without it being a like badass. Like the badass thing just took a break. It's all good. You got it. You can get back to it. But right now... This is like it's like putting on the 4 a.m. record and chilling out, like coming down after the party around the world in a day has that kind of like, let's relax now and let's just get close and recap about what our life has been and connect to each other. And then we'll go out and do our thing again. We generally ask um, our guests to describe the album in three words. But I guess since you guys are so close to it and we're used to talking to people that are, that have no experience with the album except listening to it, mm-hmm. I would say if you could describe your experience with Around the World in a Day in three words, what would they be? Beautiful, intelligent, and funky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Joyous. A creative storm, mm. and just uh, I don't know. It was like youthful. Mm. It was mm. a return kind of to our youth. Like you know, if Purple Rain was like the the mountain we climbed, and we, you know, then around the world in the day was like swimming in the river. <laughs> yeah. Sure, yeah. I like that metaphor. For our listeners who perchance have never heard Around the World in a Day, after they have listened to our podcast, after they've listened to the album, where what should they listen to next? Morgan, do you have a recommendation? Under normal circumstances, I would say listen to a, a you know a similar album. I mean, the first thing that comes to my, my mind is Lenny Kravitz's "Let Let Love Let Love Rule," mm-hmm. but I would direct you back to Prince. Don't leave Prince. If you like this album, keep going. Pick up Parade or go back. You know, you, go back to Controversy. Don't, Mom, don't listen to this part part of the podcast. <laughs> Go back to controversy, but but just keep going. Don't stop. Go to individual songs. 
Um, listen to She's Always in My Hair. Listen to Pink Cashmere. Mm-hmm. Just keep going. Listen to The Cross. Listen to all of them. Listen to Starfish and Coffee. Go back and listen to Purple Rain. Just immerse yourself in this man's catalog because he left us a lot. He left us too soon and he left us a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be very self-serving and suggest that people listen to the, ap- the episode that myself and uh, our guest co-host uh, Ernest Hardy taped last fall with Gabrielle Seville talking about Parade, mm-hmm. um, and which is the album that followed this one in terms of the in discographic order. Um, I thought, I mean, today's conversation was was miraculous, amazing. Uh, that conversation with Seville, I think, for people who really enjoy today's you know, in-depth, deep dive into it, I think you'll enjoy that episode as well. Dude. Would the, either of you or both of you have recommendations for what you think people should listen to after this? I, I personally would say sit down for the day and go through Dirty Mind mm. Controversy, mm-hmm. 1999, Purple Rain, Around the World in a Day, Sign of the Times, and then just breathe. Yeah, Dirty Mind, I would say Dirty Mind. Yeah. For some reason, it's um, got a similar energy of, you know, like something's about to happen, but but I'm already there, you know, so check it out yeah. kind of thing. It's so good for such a young man. <laughs> I, yeah. It's so like, good. Wow. And, and, it, and very guy? different than like Lenny's Let Love Rule, which to me, when I heard Let Love Rule, I, I loved the record, mm-hmm. but I could pull every resource that influenced Lenny on the record. Yeah. I knew where every lick came from. I knew where every progression was influenced by. Yeah. I knew exactly what gear he was using to come up with the sounds mm-hmm, of right. Let Love Rule. So I felt like I I didn't have enough element of surprise to it, yeah. mm-hmm. right? But when I heard Dirty Mind, I didn't know anything and I knew everything musically, <laughs> but hearing that, it yeah, was no a, reference. No reference. You know, it's, yeah. it's and so it original. felt so original and so singular. And it was like this guy who was like, I don't care about any of this. I just want to be heard. And this is how I'm going to do it because I know I'm great at what I do and I can play my ass off. Or you can listen to some Wendy Mesa. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That works too. Yes. Formative catalog. <laughs> For sure. Oh, you For know sure. what? That's funny you should say that. So Around the World in a Day and the Girl Brothers record would be good together. Those two records would yeah, be the good Girl together. Yeah, Brothers record. say too like if for those that aren't familiar earlier you mentioned um family the family but mm-hmm. screams of passion and high fashion mm-hmm. two of my favorite hits so get into that oh, they were incredible get, get into the time the I mean, original nothing compares oh, yeah. to you off that record is beautiful mm-hmm. yeah. get into those records yeah just spend some time get into records is what we yeah, think yeah <laughs> take some time exactly. and get into these records okay yep That will do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guests, Wendy and Lisa. What are the two of you working on now? Composing for a show on Netflix right now called Firefly Lane. It'll probably air in February. I think the first episode airs in February. So we're in the midst of that. And we are uh, working with Sony to create some uh, logo music for them. And we are doing finishing up doing very last gigs with the revolution for the year. Mm. Writing songs for Maya Rudolph and producing with Maya. Mm. Wow. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And writing Wendy and Lisa music. Yeah. That's our life right now. And where can people find you online? Wendyandlisa.com. Wendy and Lisa at Twitter. We're on all those social media, Facebook and all that. Y'all stuff. on Instagram? 
I am. Instagram. Okay. Yes, yeah. yes we uh, are. Wig music at, on Instagram. Well, what, and we have Wendy and Lisa now. Thank you two so much for coming in today. This was, this we was had a such ball. a wonderful yeah. conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thank and, you. And thank you for being uh, such a part of, of my growing up and, oh. uh, and my, my musical education, my relationship with Prince. Thank, thank you both for being a big part thank of that. You. Well, thanks for saying so. That's great. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits, engineers, and does the booking for our shows. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and our executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.